You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thank you for joining us this week as we continue our teaching series on the book of Revelation. Good morning, Real Life. How's everybody doing? Excellent. We are working towards, we can begin to see the end of Revelation coming as we work through this series, a light at the end of the tunnel for some of you, the light of deliverance to a new sermon series. For some of you, the, I don't know, I don't know. But we're, we're finishing up our, our walk through Revelation, and uh, I don't even want to talk about Revelation to begin with today, I want to talk about the prophets. Um, I want to make you think that I've forgotten that we're working through Revelation. So in this, are you guys ready? All right, good. All right, all right, all right. Um, in the scriptures, there's a large, the Hebrew scriptures, what we often call the Old Testament, the Tanakh, there's a, there's a section that we call the prophetic history, the prophets. And the prophets deal with a, a few different time periods, but one of the largest events or time periods that the prophets deal with is what we might call the Babylonian captivity. So there is a section of the prophets that deal with the Assyrian uh, conquest, but most of the prophets deal with this large event of Babylon coming in and conquering God's people. You have prophets that speak about Babylon is kind of on the way. They're not there yet, but their imminent conquest is on the horizon. You got guys like Jeremiah who are talking about, here comes Babylon, like your time for repentance has passed and judgment is on its way. Um, you have prophets that speak as Babylon is conquering the people of God and all of its different, and it takes quite a while for this conquest to actually take shape. It wasn't done over a week or a month. It was done over a period of years as Babylon continues to just lay waste to the land that they called home. And so you have prophets that talk while that's going on. And then you have prophets that kind of speak after the conquest has happened. And as you sit in exile... There are prophets that come and speak messages to God's people while you sit in exile. And then as that exile kind of comes to a close and Persia enters the scene and there are, you can kind of tell that there's going to come a day where you're going to get to go back home. There are, there's a whole group of prophets that speaks to that time and period of history. So prophetic history in the Hebrew scriptures is saturated with this one event of the Babylonian captivity. Now, as you study this, these, prophet, these prophetic voices speaking all throughout this period of history, there are a few different perspectives. There are a few different, what I might call, voices that speak into this period of history. All of them, they're not conflicting voices. They don't conflict at all. They just have a different perspective and a different way of engaging the problem of Babylon that sits before you. They're all in God's inspired authoritative word. They don't conflict. They don't argue with each other. But there are these different perspectives that say, well, I'm going to deal with Babylon this way. And there's lots of ways it would be unacceptable. But one voice says, I'm going to deal with it this way. God's like, yes. One voice says, I'm going to deal with it this way. God says, yes, good, that's, that's healthy. Another voice says, I'm going to deal with it this way. God says, yeah, that's, that's, there are these voices that look at Babylon and see three different things. By the way, if any of you are students and love to study this stuff, I'm going to recommend a book for you here, Out of Babylon by Walter Brueggemann. Love Brueggemann. He's one of my favorite scholars, thinkers of our day. Walter Brueggemann, B-R-U-E-G-G-E-M-A-N-N. -N. So almost like you'd want to spell it. 
Walter Brueggemann, Out of Babylon, does a really good job of kind of looking at these different voices. Um, not that we're all going to agree with every nuance, but good resource to look at. So we have these three voices that Brueggemann kind of points out as we look at the prophetic history. Voice number one says, as I, as I look out over Babylon and the things that are coming and the things that are here and the things that are passing, my perspective is if we will just walk forward in faithful obedience... If we will persevere in faithful obedience, God will rescue us and we will be able to rebuild. Voices that would say this might be voices like Isaiah, might be voices like Haggai, uh, even though these aren't necessarily prophets, Nehemiah, Ezra, these are voices that talk about faithful obedience and rebuilding, in some sense, what once was. You can never go back but we're going to rebuild God's original intent, dream, rebuild Jerusalem. That's voice number one. Voice number two says, you know, the real issue here is that we've broken covenant relationship with God. You might even remember, we've talked before about Mount Sinai being this gigantic wedding and God marrying his people in the Old Testament. And this voice says, we had a special, unique relationship with God, and we broke our end of the deal. And if we'll be in right covenant relationship with God, God can use us as his partner to put the world back together. But we have to be in that right relationship with God. So we need to restore that. And then God can use us no matter where we are whether we're in Babylon, whether we're back home, if we can be in right relationship with God, he can use us anywhere. Does that make sense? Voices like this might be voices like Jeremiah. Even though this is an Assyrian prophet, voices like Hosea. Another Babylonian voice here would be Zephaniah. These are prophets that say, come back, restore that relationship with God, and God can use us. Again, just a different slant, a different perspective. This one says, walk in faithful obedience, and we can go back and rebuild. This voice says, restore covenant relationship, and God can use us. The third voice is what Brueggemann calls accommodate and resist. This voice says, we're going to stay right here in Babylon. We're not going to go back home. We're going to stay right here in Persia, because God wants to bless how many nations? all nations through Abraham, all the way back in Genesis. This is what God's always been up to. And this voice says, we're going to stay right here and influence this world right where we sit. Notice how the three voices, this voice says, we're going to go back home because God placed us in Jerusalem. This voice says, I really, if we'll just be in right relationship, it really doesn't matter where I am. I'll be wherever. I'm kind of indifferent. This voice says, we're going to stay right here. All three of these perspectives, fine perspectives, but all looking at the problem slightly differently. Voices here, by the way. So Isaiah, Haggai, Nehemiah, Ezra, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Hosea. Voices over here would be voices like uh, uh, Daniel, maybe, Ezekiel, um, uh, Esther. She's like, that's not a prophet. Yeah, I know, but it's in the writings. Ketuvim, we'll do that some other time. There's a message here that's 
being promoted, a, a perspective here that's being promoted here in this voice. So there are these different voices. Revelation, John in Revelation leans on these different perspectives and voices in order to communicate to his audience how to respond to the Babylon of their day. And as John sees it, the Babylon of their day is who? Rome. Okay, so how are we gonna deal with, well, let's look back, John says, at all of these prophetic voices to see how they did it. Now, there's a few things. We're gonna look at Revelation 17 here in just a moment, but before we do, I wanna give you an experience in the prophets before we go there. In one respect, Revelation 17 seems to really be leaning on Isaiah. Uh, I challenge you, I'm not gonna do it here, I just won't have time. Isaiah 23. Sometime this week, pull out Isaiah 23 and read it in light of Revelation 17. Isaiah 23 is gonna talk about Babylon and it's gonna talk about Babylon as a prostitute. She's this, she's this prostitute that lures you in with all of her seductive indulgences. And Babylon, an empire, reaches out and says, come take part in what I'm doing in the world. This, I keep pointing at the screen, because empire has a message. And Isaiah says, it's this seductive message, this temptress that says, come be a part of this thing called Babylon. And Isaiah says, the problem is, is this, this this prostitute's going to fall as a metaphor. It's a metaphor, it's an image. This prostitute's gonna fall. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. And there's some voice three. What I wanna do is I wanna go to voice two. I wanna go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 51, which appears to be one of the passages that John is leaning heavily on as he writes Revelation 17. So I wanna walk through some of the things that are said here. Listen to this, this voice, voice two. Can you remember what did it say? Restore your... This covenant relationship with God and God can what? Use you. So, so, so John's gonna use this idea here. Jeremiah 51, come out of her, my people. Think about Isaiah 23. Revelation 17 is gonna talk about Babylon being the great prostitute. Isaiah 23, come out of her. I don't, I don't want to camp here, but that, there, there's a sexual overtone to that Hebrew expression. Come out of her, my people. Run for your lives. Run from the fierce anger of the Lord. Do not lose heart or be afraid when rumors are heard in the land. One rumor comes this year, another the next. Rumors of violence in the land and of ruler against ruler. I wish there was more relevant material for us. (laughs) For the time will surely come when I will punish the idols of Babylon Her whole land will be disgraced. Her slain will all lie fallen within her. Then heaven and earth and all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon. For out of the north destroyers will attack her, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall. Do you hear that? Babylon must fall. She hasn't yet when Jeremiah writes. She hasn't fallen. But Jeremiah says Babylon must fall. She hasn't. How does he know that? We'll talk about that. Babylon must fall because of Israel's slain, just as the slain and all the earth have fallen because of Babylon. You who have escaped the sword, leave and do not linger. Remember the Lord in a distant land and call to mind Jerusalem, 
We are disgraced for we have been insulted and shame covers our faces. Voice number two, we've broken this relationship with God. We've paid dearly because we've walked in rebellion. Because foreigners have entered the holy places of the Lord's house. But days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish her idols and throughout her land the wounded will groan. Even if Babylon ascends to the heavens and fortifies her lofty stronghold, I will send destroyers against her, declares the Lord. The sound of a cry comes from Babylon. The sound of great destruction from the land of the Babylonians. The Lord will destroy Babylon. He will silence her noisy din. Waves of enemies will rage like great waters. The roar of their voices will resound. A destroyer will come against Babylon. Her warriors will be captured and their bows will be broken. For the Lord is a God of retribution and he will repay in full. I will make her officials and wise men drunk, her governors and officers and warriors as well. They will sleep forever and not awake, declares the king, whose name is the Lord Almighty. So there's this, there's this message in Jeremiah that John is going to lean on, where Jeremiah says, listen, Babylon must fall. And he goes on to talk about Babylon's going to fall from like within. Babylon's going to implode upon herself because this is not how God created the empire is an unsustainable method of engagement in God's created order. Empire doesn't work. Uh, the illustration I always like to use is, is my car. I have, I have a vehicle. It's designed to run on gasoline. Now, I can insist that diesel is a better option. And I can just pour diesel into my car. And eventually, what's going to happen? It will, it will implode upon itself. It will break. It will not, it's not a sustainable option because my car was not designed to run on diesel. Does that make sense? The world is not designed to run on empire. Empire, what do you mean? I mean fear, coercion, greed. Uh, uh, who said that? Insecurity. Uh, This is not the economy that God has created in his good world. Self-preservation, hoarding, scarcity. The world's not designed. God designed a world. He's the designer. And he designed a world to function and to run on a particular kind of fuel. Not scarcity, but abundance. Not Not fear, but trust. Not greed, but selflessness. Not anger, but love. Generosity, hospitality. Listen to me, forgiveness. It seems totally counterintuitive to us, but this is how the designer, so Jeremiah can look out over Babylon and say, I can tell you one thing, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know when, I don't know who, but this cannot sustain itself. Babylon must fall. Okay? So what do we do? Well, let's look at Revelation. Revelation 17. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great 
prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, kings of the, with her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. So if we know our text, what is this a clear allusion to? Say Isaiah 23. If we're people of the text, like the original readers were, we're immediately thinking of things that have already been written in the past. And you're like, well, how do we know it's Babylon? Hold on, it's going to tell us. And the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. There's that same reference, I will make them drunk. And you're like, drunk with what? Like, what is he talking about? Well, we'd have to know our text. And to know our text, we would know that Jeremiah is already talking about the cup of God's wrath. That if you built your life on violence, guess what you're going to drink of? Violence. Not because God, like, I'm a God of retribution. It's how the world works. It's how the world works. If you want to build your world and build your empire and build your economy and build all your things, personal, national, whatever, doesn't matter. God's world is designed to work one way with one kind of fuel. And if you want to build your world in this kind of way, you will drink of the same cup that you filled up. Jesus said something very similar. Those who live by the sword, die by the sword. Unless it's, no, no. Now, if you want to build this kind of economy, it will implode on yourself because it doesn't work in God's created order. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The, which he's gonna, okay, the angel's going to explain it, so pay attention. Okay, All the mysteries of Revelation are going to be solved right here. <laughs> good, you guys caught that as a joke. That's good, that's good. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast. Because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. I'm glad the angel's clearing this all up for us. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are like seven hills. That's interesting, Rome was a city built on on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. Are you following all this? You're writing a flowchart on your notes? The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but for who one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast and have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. John will say the same thing that Jeremiah said. There's this incredible beast, seven heads, ten horns. And, and, I could, and we could spend all of our time here like trying to figure out like who all the... Like we could, I'm not going to do that, A, because there's a very large group of you that have not loved our interpretation of Revelation. Shocker. And you're like, no, this is not right. This is all about the future, which 
Five kings already have been at the point of writing Revelation. One is, and the other is yet to come. It's totally fine. You don't have to agree with our explanation of that. I just hope you have a good, well thought out, like, I hope you've considered the hermeneutical implications of interpreting this futuristically, okay? As long as you've done that, awesome, because we're not the gatekeepers of truth. Neither are you, but none of us are. Is that fun? Okay, good. <laughs> but, but the whole reason I get into that is because we could like sit here and try to figure out which king was that and got king and that king and that king and that king and I'm gonna figure out the horns and the heads and all that kind of stuff. Here's the, we could do all of that and miss John's greater point. This is John's greater point. Babylon must fall. Babylon's gonna wage war on the lamb and the lamb's gonna conquer it. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know. And this is a great thing. I was talking to somebody this morning before the message. Like, that's the great message no matter where you place Revelation or how you interpret it. The message is the same no matter how you read it. And that is that Babylon must fall. It's happened to Egypt. It's happened to Persia. It's happened to Babylon. It's happened to the Medes. It's happened to the Greeks. It's happened to the Romans. Guess what? Empire falls because it has to. It cannot sustain itself. And John says, I'll tell you one thing, they can wage war on the lamb all they want. I know, I know, John says, who wins in the end. There is one way, there is one fuel that this car is designed to run on. And I can promise you that there's one thing that lasts forever, and it's not Domitian, it's not and whatever, like make it futuristic. It's not any empire you could choose. It's not Russia, it's not Iran, it's not America. No empire lives, survives, sustains itself because it's built on principles that don't belong in God's created order. Babylon, empire must fall, John says. Let's finish that, and then we'll, we'll have some closing thoughts. How am I doing on time? We're doing okay. Uh, they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beasts and the ten horns you saw. Now remember, the ten horns were kings that got their power from the beast, we were told. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. What? Like, I thought they were all on the same team. They are. But this is what happens to empire. Just like in Jeremiah, just like in Isaiah, just like it always has, Egypt, Babylon, Greeks, Romans, doesn't matter. Empire always implodes. I can't remember how Aaron worded it after Thursday night. He had a really good phrase that I wish I could remember. Like when you're, when you're all trying to rule over everybody else, rulers attack rulers. It was essentially his point. When you're trying to do it according to empire, it all implodes. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Interesting picture. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules, present tense, over the kings of the earth. Now, just to close, I want to throw out a couple thoughts before we head to implications in the Lord's table. Just to close, I would, I would, 
Jesus says something in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. He says a little bit later, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust is. Now, the, there is an economy there is, a way, there is a world where things are as God intends it to be. Jesus says, make sure you make your investments in that good world. It lasts forever. I, I, I'm trying to figure out my retirement like, as I get older and older. and do, I'm trying to figure out, like, pay attention more and more to what's going on. So me and my, I'm good friends with my investor friend. and He does my financial advising and all that fun stuff. And, I'm good with it. Like, I really don't care. Like, I'm trying not to put my trust in all that stuff. Like, it could be gone tomorrow. I'm going to try to be a good steward with what I have, but I, it could all be gone tomorrow. So I'm not trying to put my trust in my retirement, my 401k, who cares? But I am trying to like, hmm. Can you imagine if there was an investment guaranteed return? What I'm learning is called ROI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pastors don't ever learn this stuff. So you guys all laughed. You're like, yeah, dummy. ROI, return on investment. Can you imagine if there was an investment that was a guaranteed return? Guaranteed return on investment. Like, yeah. Can you imagine if there is an investment that was a guaranteed, you're throwing your money in a hole, it's never coming back to you. Spiritually speaking, this is the conversation. We ought to think about that. Where are you making your spiritual, literal, like, li yes, literal investment. Where are you making your spiritual investments? Are you making your investments in things that will last forever with a guaranteed ROI? Love, mercy, forgiveness. That's counterintuitive. Forgiveness is counterintuitive. But in God's economy, it always, always brings a return on investment. Or are you making investments in self-preservation, greed? Do you understand what I'm getting at? This world is designed to run on a particular kind of fuel. Are you engaging in empire, this thing that has to fall? It has to. Or are we, and now go back to those prophetic voices. Why is John leaning on these voices? Because it's hard to not buy into empire. And John says, we have, to be, we have to be obedient. We have to persevere. Because if we persevere, we know where this ends. It has to. I know that's seductive. It doesn't last. It never has. That statue is broken into pieces today. We have to like crop it to fit on the slide. It doesn't last. Or, or this voice. Make sure you're not committing adultery with the Lord. Buying into all these other false gods that beg for your attention and your investment because you're going to put your security here and you're going to put your security there. And be careful, Jeremiah would say. Or how about this one? We're actually going to engage the world around us. We're going to go out and find all the chaos Where's the dragon? Let me at him. Where is he? Because we know his ultimate demise. We're not supposed to be fear. Like, we're not supposed to be afraid. Did you hear that in Jeremiah? 
Don't be afraid when rumors of wars come. Have we bought into that? Yeah, enough. We're going to head towards the Lord's table. We're going to wrestle with some implications on our way there. Uh, So if our servers want to go back and get our elements ready, that would be great. If you're visiting with us this morning, we have an open table. That means join us, your family, to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Just hold on to the bread and the juice, and we'll take it all together here at the end. First implication. While God is saddened by mankind's rebellion in pursuing Babylon and the chaos that ensues, he is not threatened by its apparent advances. While God is saddened by mankind's rebellion in pursuing Babylon and the chaos that ensues, he is not threatened by its apparent advances. This is why Jeremiah says, don't be scared. Anybody watching the news lately? (laughs) Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Remember you come from a long line of people that have laid down their life. When I say don't be scared, I'm not saying nothing bad's going to happen. All of God's people, a great cloud of witnesses, would all stand around us and say, we went through lots of bad things. But we know, who, we know where this ends. It ends with a victorious lamb looking as though it's been slain. It ends with glorious resurrection. Don't be afraid. While God is saddened by mankind's rebellion in pursuing Babylon and the chaos that ensues. He is not threatened by its apparent advances. God does not look at the, ruler, at the rulers of this world and go, oh no. God sits on his throne, bringing the world, restoring the world, looking for partners who would be willing to lay it all down to help bring shalom to chaos. If we are afraid, it may be because we're more interested than comfort, security, privilege in whatever form you want to hear that word in. It it may be that we're buying in. Next implication. God has designed the world to work according to kingdom principles and a kingdom economy. Don't answer this. Wrestle with this. Do you believe that? God has designed the world to work according to kingdom principles and a kingdom economy. This is whose world? God's world. The whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it, as true today as it ever has been. This is the Lord's world. Sometimes I think we, we think God like gave up on this place and the Lord's world is somewhere else. The Lord's world is here. This is the Lord's world. If we truly believe that, we ought to live a particular kind of way. Uh, Next implication. The imperial systems of Babylon and human kingdom building, whether it's personal kingdom building, business kingdom building, uh, national kingdom building, any kind of kingdom building you can think. Human kingdom building rather than God's kingdom building. Imperial systems of Babylon and human kingdom building are not sustainable systems. They will self-destruct. Because in order to build human kingdoms, they have to be built in self-interest. That's how you build a human kingdom. God's kingdom, the fuel that this whole world runs on, is the fuel of selflessness. Not self-preservation, but self-sacrifice. 
laying down your life on behalf of other people. It's the fuel that this world will always run on. It's the one thing that will be here when every empire has crumbled to dust. Love, mercy, forgiveness, compassion, goodness will still be around stronger than ever. Next implication. To repeat our past discussions, our job is to be concerned with faithfulness, not fairness. Jeremiah, faithfulness, not fairness. Voice number two. Faithfulness, not fairness. Perseverance, not deliverance. Isaiah, voice number one. Faithfulness, not fairness. Perseverance, not deliverance. Engagement, not evacuation or escape. Voice number three. Esther. We're going to engage the world. This is why last, last week, Freedom Sunday, like if there's chaos in the world, like we know where this ultimately ends, we're gonna go find it and put an end to it because that's what God's up to in the world. Yeah. Anyway. And so in our hands, we hold this great reminder. It's a great reminder of, of what, this is like, this is the currency. This is the currency of God's kingdom economy. Self-sacrifice. A life laid down on behalf of other people. This is what it looks like. It doesn't look like towers. It doesn't look like fortresses. It doesn't look like... It looks like bread and juice. It looks like a lamb. This was during Passover. It looks like a lamb that was slain. Always has, always will. This is what it looks like. This is what God invites us into. That night he was with his disciples. He took a piece of bread. He broke it. Jesus did, and he handed it to them, and he said, take and eat, this is my body. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember the kingdom economy as seen in Jesus. And later in the meal, maybe voice number two, it spoke of a covenant relationship. Jesus takes a cup, and he speaks of covenant. He took the cup and passed it to his disciples. He said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. This is what it looks like. Jesus might say, whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember the kingdom economy as seen in Jesus. Father God, I I pray that you would um, continue to teach us what it means to live in a world where empire and kingdom, where empire and shalom, where where man's ways and your design conflict in our daily lives so readily and so often. For some of us, God, we do go through suffering. Today, we we find ourselves in a season today. It's, It's not just about political realities or for some of us, like we find ourselves in a great tribulation today. God, would you remind us that wherever tribulation is found, in whatever form that it's found, anywhere in any experience, it is not the thing that lasts. It has to end. Would you allow us to sit in any situation where where Paul might have told us in plenty or in want, rich or poor, in struggle or abundance? Would you allow us to sit in any situation and be able to say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul because I know 
what the real reality is, and I know where this is headed. Would you be with us, teach us, guide us? We pray all this in the name of the slain lamb, Jesus Christ, today. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.